Hello and welcome to Gatsby Fridays, a show about getting the best out of a creative life from two creative directors working around the world and based in New York City. I'm your host, Sarah Semi. And I'm Alex Chimilio. We continue our pop culture legacy series today. Today we discuss the most simple and essential tool, the notebook. And at the end of each episode, we make a signature cocktail toast. Cheers to you. So hang with us as we make our first marks on the page in our pop culture legacy episode, Blank Canvas. I'm Sarah. And I'm Alex. And And this this is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Alex, before we get into our conversation, let's do a check-in. How are you and what are you wearing? Oh my God, Sarah. How are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is the question. I am fantastic. This is our season finale, season two. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Did you think we'd make it? Yeah. But it's like, it's so much more to more than I thought it was going to be. It feels like a sense of accomplishment. It's so, it's it's big. We've gotten a lot of love from a lot of people. I feel, I feel fantastic. I feel like it's going in a direction that we needed it to go. I, for the season, because this is our season finale, I'm wearing Upstate by Way of Brooklyn fabulousness. A holiday sweater that has. Very earthy tones. uh, Very earth tones, uh, snowflakes. I'm wearing, you know, tan corduroys and boots and a woolen cap, thus cementing the Brooklyn-ness in me. <laughs> Sarah, how are you? And what are you wearing? I'm good. I I feel good that we've come this far. And it's... I don't know. I think until we sat down to record, I wasn't really reflecting on like, wow, this is like the season finale. We wrote it up on the whiteboard in front of us. It's and it's official. like, wow. So it feels good. We've had some of our um, episode special cocktails oh yes we did um so i feel really good mm-hmm. um i'm wearing my winter uniform that i have purchased for this reason specifically my leatherette leggings and a festive bejeweled sweater you got speeded up with pearls pearls and sparkles i love it again, again it's a great sweater That's yes with it. let's not it get fits, it twisted it, it fits my winter uniform of the legging the black leggings and the gray sweater but it's got sparkles on it and i, I have matching it. earrings I did my hair. Um, so, no, it's been a good day. Let's get started. Fabulous. Okay. Alex, why notebooks? This is an episode about pop culture legacies. We started it with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Upon her passing, we were inspired to honor her memory, and then we decided that there, this is an overarching theme in a, in a design conversation. But why do you think that we... We should talk about notebooks today. We decided to start doing a pop culture legacy series in the podcast and not relegate it to just people. So we went back and forth, especially with this theme, went back and forth on a couple of ideas on what constitutes a pop culture legacy. For us being the design mavens that we are, we thought what better tool and what better thing to talk about in terms of a legacy than the tool that we write things down on. And the notebook, we landed on a notebook, and we thought this would be a good topic to talk about because every designer... Everybody has a lot of... Everybody has has a notebook. notebook, And and it spans far and wide. Speaking to what we are and what we do and how important notebooks are for us as individuals and notebooks are important for our our creative community so i thought it would be a good topic to start on and it also is a pop culture legacy yes you started the com well it was your suggestion which was very Mm. like we were trying to nail down a person which was inspired by the original episode last season and then you said the college the college notebook with the black and white speckle yes the composition notebooks yes 
Those... So you kicked it off with that one. It's such a visual presence in, like, you know, a lot of, like, skater board, graphic arts. And I it's such of, a it's I such an icon in and of itself, and, it's a, and it lends itself well to a graphic icon. Yeah. You know what the composition notebooks look like, and everyone has used one, no matter what capacity, whether you're a creative or an academic or just a high school student taking notes or, or you know, you've come across and used a composition notebook. Yeah, and, like, it's kind of one of those, like, um, 90s, like, turquoise and purple wave and chalkboardy type of texture that's, like, iconic of the 90s. Mm-hmm. This is very iconic of, like, sketching and, like, high school creativeness. It's, like, it starts at the high school level of youth, and it hasn't changed over decades. It, it, it doesn't need to, and that's what the beauty of the composition notebook is and what and what makes pop culture legacies significant is the longevity and the simplicity of the concept. In high school, you start with the composition notebook. That's kind of like just given at any student at that age. Did you use a composition notebook? I didn't go to high school here. Oh, okay. And when well, I got to college, college, I mean, there was, it was there, I guess, but I didn't really know what it was mm-hmm. as much. I, I was in a program, so we got we sketched in black matte spiral sketchbooks, bound sketchbooks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I was already at that. Like I skipped the high school cultural level. I look at it from reverse and looking back at it and seeing it around me and seeing it in MTV and a lot of like you know, yes. you know, youth magazines. Like I mean, at that age, I read a lot of nylon. So like, just even those graphics translating and morphing into something, I think that's what makes it a legacy and that it is what it is. Even if you're no longer using it, you're using notebook format, you're using the graphics, you have already, like, it's just so familiar. Even to me, coming from not using it and coming from a different background, also, like, the, the proportions of the American notebooks are different than European. Okay. The A4 system, it doesn't use A4 in Europe. Okay. There's letter size in the U.S. Like, there's something more comfortable about the, the proportions of a letter size um, page. And those notebooks are a little smaller than this, but they still reflect that, like, wider, like, fatter rectangle than the narrow A4. I, I look back at it. But the thing that makes it iconic is that we know the graphic representation of it, but over time, you stop using that particular one and you evolve. Like, I've evolved... Like, I came in at the art book sketch level, so then yes. I'm sure, like, you switch to that when you're in college. Then you get the, you know, like, the matte, thick chipboard, like, with the spiral with the bound. spiral bound and, 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 then and there's the thicker the, paper in the inside. And then the hardcover leather-bound ones were so expensive. <laughs> I didn't have um, that. I, I, I know what you're those. talking about. I had about. the spiral-bound ones. I didn't have that. And then, you know, like, you finish art school and then you devolve into, like, becomes the moleskin because it's smaller. It's more, like, carryable because you're not carrying, like, loads of notebooks and stuff around. Also, the moleskin ones uh, are iconic in and of, of themselves. Yes, exactly. So then at that level, like, we, that became very iconic on its own. So, like, it, it evolves. Like, the notebook changes from the speckled cover to the moleskin. And then now, in the day of technology... I mean that also though. No. Well, no. before get... technology, I want to get into okay. Muji yes, because that's there what I is you to Muji bring up. because those all of a sudden like made the simplicity. The what made the moleskin is its simplicity. There's no like cover art. There's nothing. It's just very like, it's quiet there, and you just put your ideas there. It doesn't compete with your ideas. The page design is empty. If it's lined, it's barely lines there. It's not harsh in your face. Not competing what you write in it visually, and then came along. But they're expensive still. They're like, you know, that's what $20, I wanted, $30 that's what a I piece. That's I wanted to mention. Like, the Moleskine ones are 
they're kind of aspirational items. They're, and they're kind of Because they're either, you can either get the ones with the leather cover yeah. or the faux leather cover, but still, these were not 99 cent notebooks. These no. were like at least $20, $30 yeah. a notebook. Yeah. I mean, neither were the art, art school ones. They mm. were like, you know, like, at least $20. I don't remember now, but, like, I remember being very precious with them because I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, my, like, every yes, notebook. everything needs to be. But then, like, the, the moleskin became, then became Muji, where they took, like, their entire design philosophy is simplicity. So then they took all of the bells and whistles, ugly graphics, weird colors out of it, and you all you get is a blank canvas to put your thoughts on, and it comes at, like, $2 even to this day at the end of 2020. They're very, they're very utilitarian, uh, and they come in a range of sizes. Sizes, rules, like lined, grid, blank. And I think it, those Muji ones are befitting to the time because there was a time where there were those Moleskine notebooks, which were simplistic in and of, of themselves, but the Muji ones ushered this minimalism that I think really lended itself well during the time during the rise of its own popularity. Also, I, I mean, I don't mean to be dismissive of the, of the classic quality of moleskin, but at the end of the day, it's pen and paper. Mm-hmm. All you need is something to put ideas on. It doesn't need to cost 30 bucks. It can cost $2, and you get the same ideas on it if you have the ideas. But, but, we are designers. Oh, no, we're total collector dorks that, like, overpay for things for the sake of the idea just, of it. Just the concept the concept of it is that, I mean, that's what I create. So, of course, I pay for it. I'm a sucker for it. That's why I'm like, you know, I don't mean to dismiss it. But also, like, now I, I don't buy Moleskine anymore. I haven't. I don't remember the last time I bought it. It's been at least a decade because now I just buy the Muji ones because I can buy so many. And I they're not as precious. Then I don't worry so much about every idea that I put down. I'm just, like, just riding along. And unlike the Moleskine ones, which are very iconic, once again, in and of themselves also have collaborations with with celebrities to kind of adorn their covers uh the muji ones are just plain i don't even think they come in any other color except black and tan tan yeah pretty much right so yeah. that's they do have spiral bound and like stable bound like you know stitch bound like basic like things they have like more pages less pages but you know it's just very every every version has a purpose to be that version. Yes. It's not because this has different art versus that one. You know it's interesting. You I put don't... your own art on it. Actually they have like these like little stamp station in some of the stores where you just come in and customize your cover before you leave with it kind of thing. Which I is guess. what you're supposed to do. Well for 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 you know I did. Excuse me. I designed my own. Yes, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. I I, I don't want their stamps, but like I understand why. Like it's kind of like why the bullet journals are popular too. Like you know, we do this for a living, so I'm like, of course, I take it too seriously, way too seriously. But the I think that is the like the definition of a blank canvas. That it's not about. I mean, yes, it is quality. It's still nice paper. It still is designed so well that your ideas, what you put on it, shine. It doesn't overpower what you put on it. There's been like, remember, like right before the quarantine, I was looking for a planner, and we walked through like Staples, and everything I picked up. That was really that weird. Like, and I was like, everything. Kind of executive functionality yeah, it like, to they it. Yeah, they add all these like functionality. Executive functionality. And I'm like, if I'm that level of executive, I already have an assistant to, to navigate it. I don't, we need, don't this, need this. This book. And then like, if I'm not, then I don't need like all of these dark lines and like weird tabs and stuff like over design. Like, there's a level of like bad American consumerism that over designs things to 
like actually get in the way of what the product is supposed to do for you. So it's not like that. This is just purely blank canvas that you put your ideas on and that's all there it is. And it's three bucks instead of 20. It, it makes it approachable as long as you know you have access to Muji. But then they sell online, I think. They sell online and, and Muji, Muji stores. I mean, we well, live in let's, New York City. I, I guess, I'm just saying in the sense of like not to be insensitive and stuff. Like we live in New York City. There's a Muji in every neighborhood. Pretty much, pretty much. But if like you know even if you, there's no muji in your city like it is online and they ship across the u.s so just so people just understand what muji is muji is a japanese uh company that that focuses on very simplistic minimalistic design in every aspect of of one's lifestyle so it goes into not just uh, stationary there's home goods there's fashion and food and, and it keeps on going on and on we're focusing on the notebooks <laughs> There's also, like, after all of this, like, pen and paper thing that we do, it's sketching in 2020, now there's millions of tech options, right? Even Moleskine, like, kind of went into that. There's Evernote that is that started purely digital versus Moleskine started purely notebook. And then they kind of both found the middle ground of, like, having, like, tech pens where it reads what you write. Like, there's a lot of bells and whistles and all of that that go into it. What do you think it means to have this need for actually having pen and paper in your hand? So I know that we're going to get into the conversation on the tech aspect and the digital aspect of of note-taking and paper, but I am still about pen and paper, actual pencil and paper. Because of the tactileness, I love feeling things. You could wrinkle paper. Paper doesn't have... It, paper is not backlit. And there's, there's tooth to paper. There's different grains of paper. Even though all that can be simulated virtually. I mean, yes. You can't fake the texture of, like, rubbing the, the, the pencil against a grainy paper, but... That is such a... That, that is such a cathartic feeling. Like, I love the notion of, like, scraping, scraping graphite onto a page and seeing the graphite being lost mm-hmm. into an idea into a design, into a sketch, something that just doesn't happen in in the virtual space. My bias is I love notebooks and I love books. So so, so, so do I. Yes. But I think I'm a little more tech-friendly than you are. Okay, that's fair. Not savvy, just more friendly and more embracing of it. To support what you were saying, when I was in grad school and I was doing my thesis work, which at that time the... The department chair said, you know, like, normal thesis programs are two semesters. Like, you know, by the time that you're you're doing, like, a one-and-a-half thesis, like, by the time you're done with this, like, so you, what you what you put out into the world ends up being a lot more in-depth. Um, so uh, for, after the first semester, I took time off to come and refocus because I was, I was kind of dabbling in, like, fashion. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a fashion designer. I was, like, I was kind of loss and I took printmaking again letterpress art center had this old school letterpress and took a basic undergrad graphic design class just so that I kept like creating like I was given projects and that graphic design class it just reminded me of when you said like like rubbing the chuck against the paper um so trying to tie every project that I had there back into my thesis I my one of my graphic design projects was identifying denim brands and Mm. I I remember going to Macy's in Pasadena, picking up a pair of every single brand that I could find. And, you know, like in 2000, there was like so there was an overflow in L.A. of all places, like overflow of denim brands. And I grabbed one of each 
And it was like Pasadena Macy's, so no one bothers you in the dressing rooms. You can take forever. <laughs> and I set up shop with my, like, blue chalk. And I did rubbings of every pocket stitching for, like, 20 pairs, maybe wow. more. And I, like, I, you know, like, you have to have, like, it's it smudges and stuff. like And then, then I brought it back. And I remember when I came back to assess my thesis to get back into it, the, the thesis, like, review committee was like, you missed print. Like, we can tell, like, what you, as soon as you <laughs> no longer had to focus on your thesis, even though you tied it back, you went back into, like, letterpress is ink, paper, printing press, rolls, and all of that, like, you know, letter pieces and furniture. They call it little bits of furniture. And then, and then the graphic design class, you could have just done anything, but you still went back and did this thing with your hands and paper and chalk and then brought it back into the drill, which is kind of like what draw drives still my practice that I bring all of that back into digital, which is why I actually enjoy tech because it allows me a lot more flexibility. And like, I start in paper, I bring it into tech, put it back onto paper. I do more in paper and then I bring it back because you, if you don't scan it and if you don't memorialize that stuff, a photo is no longer enough. Like if you want to sell a print, a, a painting that you did, a photo does well, but then you also have to scan it to make sure that it's flat. Like there's a lot more like processing that goes in it's so like it starts on paper, it goes into digital, back onto paper, finalize the artwork, and then you bring it back again. Point taken, and let's move that here. Do you miss the emotion of paper, of the tactileness of putting pen to paper, putting graphite to paper, putting watercolor I to paper? I miss it, of course. That's why when as soon as I first did my first like passion project, after I started my business, like then I was like, okay, like I need to do something for me. My first initial thing was um, was just painting watercolors. I the first time like at a hard time in my life like I need to do something. I went back and took watercolor classes. I mentioned this in like a previous, I think in our like keep on learning episode, um, the dirty hands workshop in, in the Lower East Side. Like he, he teaches you techniques and he's like it's a, he keeps calling it the um, soul cycle of painting classes because <laughs> like you go in Everyone and in an hour I give you like. <laughs> He's, I mean, but it's smart because he's, you're yeah. not there just, like, painting for three hours the same model over and over again. Like, he's there teaching you techniques. You do, like, this is one technique. Let's all do one, and then, you know, we move on to the next technique. And then by the end of it, you finish piece, but, like, you know, you leave there with things that you can take and actually use on your own. But watercolor, like, I went back to it because water paint has a different way of dissolving in water. It doesn't with other mediums. Like, I respond to that for some reason. I don't know. It's completely an emotional connection. Like, there's no other explanation why I thrive in it. And that's what I think I'm getting at, mainly, because I get it. All the tech that we have available is supposed to aid us into being much more, not only just productive in, in our output, but more efficient in our output. Yes. And I feel like the emotion of simply sitting down with a piece of paper in a notebook is missing. Until I feel like you can gain the emotion just like scale you know when we bought notebooks we bought notebooks or our sketchbooks to a specific yeah. scale that we needed it to be to either fit in our bag or to be used for class tablets for the most part only come in very limited sizes that's one thing but i don't use it in in place uh, i don't use the tech in place of paper i think the initial conversation has always been how is tech going to replace what we already have mm -hmm. Um, so like with books, we talked about this a little bit, uh, in our, both of our book, uh, sessions that we, we like clearly if, the, if anyone had any doubts, we both like books and we like collecting them, but I do not 
I no longer, since I've had my first iPad, do not read novels and fiction work on paper anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't see the point. Like, I, it's now that I just like borrow them from the New York Public Library, which is like incredible opportunity. Like, it's free, and I get whatever I want to read, and it makes me discover like old classics that I didn't get around until I read, kind of thing. But it wasn't either or. Like the the digital version is never going to take place of my cookbooks or my design books. I just it has a purpose for the again in the same uh, in in parallel in the creative process. The tech doesn't replace my pen and paper. It just gives me another level of function that I didn't have without it. Gives me a level of flexibility and it makes it more efficient. But more be made like when I'm doing my hand lettering affirmations. Uh, for my for my passion project, I start in paper. I sketch it out. Once I have a general like lock up, I bring I point the iPad, take a picture of it, and bring it into Procreate. And then I start sketching in Procreate. I perfect the curves. I add all of like the fills. Then that gives me room to explore, like experiment with color. Because every time I experiment with watercolor, watercolor is not a is not a corrective medium. Like once you don't do one thing, it's permanent. Yes. It's not fixable. So. It takes a lot of commitment to it. And I, I didn't start that way. It took me about six months to finally say, I think I need an iPad. I was like, am I being ridiculous? Do I just want a new toy? Because of course, I always want a new toy. <laughs> but no, because once I bring it to the iPad and I get to test out a color combinations, if I needed like three degrees twisted, I don't have to redraw the whole thing. I don't have to redraw the entire thing with a new element in the side and the right angle. I just get to do that separate layer and twist it until I, it is the right lockup. And I it's not cheating. It just makes No. It just makes it easier so that I can get to do more. And then once I'm done with all of that and I take it back out from there and I actually do it very old school. I put a grid on my iPad sketch and then I put a grid on my watercolor pad. And then I go and like trace it square by square, like match the individual, like almost like pixelate it myself. And then I redraw that entire thing on paper. But the actual experimentation phase is a lot more forgiving on the iPad. And I think that, so your final output is to produce a final art piece that is concise and and perfected in and of itself. And for me, a lot of just my, my own personal thought process in my own mind, I'm already sketching. So the paper or notebook is an extension of that. And it's messy. The lines overlap each other. And and there's thickness and thins in not only just the way I think, but in the way my line process is when I either draw or sketch out an idea. But there is no finality to me jotting something down on paper. Why do you think that is? Like, you and I, we're, yeah, we have a couple of years apart, but in terms of educational you know, like we we are in the same age gap or our interaction, like how we grew up and how technology I'm not started that coming. Much older than you. That's my point. We're in the same age gap, so like you and I are not. It's not a generational difference how no. we approach technology. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay. I didn't call you old. <laughs> I'm saying we're the same. We just have. We only have a couple years difference. So like, so from that perspective. It's just your nature versus my nature. I just took to this a lot easier because, I mean, we also talked about this before. Like, I, I need a purpose to, like, do do the projects 
versus you just always have this like thing going on <laughs> like, <laughs> in your head random things going on no but, like you uh, always have this like creative thought in your mind versus i like i, I need a calling almost of sorts well so. you know what's interesting i think my final output for whatever for what i do personally or creatively is a bigger much cleaner concept and i know that that sounds abstract but like if i put together a shoot the shoot lives in its in its clean finality that doesn't need to be sketched but the concept of how that comes about needs to be sketched and that's what i use notebooks for to flesh out an idea to flesh out a tone as it were to get to the final clean digital output of what whatever the end goal was but that's like that's planning i like i like making weekly planning lists like i said earlier like i i was on the hunt for a very pared down planner because i need to be able to jot down like things like move things around i actually have mini muji post-its just to be able to like assign certain things to certain days and i don't want to have to cross it out or erase it i want to just move the post-it to the next day if i didn't get to do it that way like i See? just like i like i move around i make it flexible enough but like i also thrive in this like ocd organizational situation where i'm like i i, I need my organization to be clean so it soothes <laughs> me so i don't feel overwhelmed all the time because i am and see for me i'm the opposite like i'll go in and i'll cut up magazines or I'll cut up printouts and I'll stick it on paper and I'll stick it on a board and but I'll that's a take that board and about. then I'll put it that's back on different. a piece of paper. I'm talking about putting together. But I'll put it. Like I, I will put it itinerary. because I need I need something to go. So I'll take something from a bigger mood board, cut it out in a notebook, and have that to go. So I could still be working on the idea or thinking about the idea uh, remotely. And I prefer to do that than put that mood board on my computer and then have to open up my computer, power yeah, up a program. I agree with you on the mood boards. The mood boards also need to be an immersive feeling. So, like, they need to be bigger than me. We talked about this, like, when I do research. Like, I want to spread out my books in front of me. And that's, like, one page open here. Even when I'm, like, mini planning for, like, a day of cooking, which is, like, just three recipes, I have, like, all these books open to certain pages all around me. That's different because, like, that means that I'm smaller than the information in front of me physically. Like, mm -hmm. I'm lost in it. That's the mood board, like, inspiration. But, like, when I'm planning out my week because I need to do this, this, and this, and then this, this, and this, that's when I write it down. But even then, I hate the messiness of, like, crossing it out and dirtying the page. Like, I need to cleanly be able to move things oh, around. Like, I love that. No, see, like, that bothers me. I, I need it that. to see clean, and I need to be able to cleanly cross done things to feel like, oh, done. Like, like, I want to write that down. I don't want that digitally. I don't like to-do lists digitally. It doesn't have the same satisfaction of crossing it out. Yes. But from a creative perspective, I sketch it out on paper because that's just like how your like brain works faster. But also like in terms of technology, by the time we reached on like drawing on an iPad, we had the Intuos like tablet pens, yes. which I've had used and for certain things I use, but that's a different hand-eye coordination where like you're looking at the screen, your hand is going away. And that's like that. It's almost like training your brain to function differently. Well, to, to have its focal point in it. Yeah, in like area. your hand is there. You're telling your, your brain is telling your hand to do something while you're facing the screen because you have to see what your hand is doing on the screen, not where your hand is. Versus drawing on the iPad, if you had to do it, you're saying this because you never had a reason to like explore it, I think. Once you do it and it gives you this flexibility of all of a sudden really quickly multiply the ideas that you already have, 
so quickly. Like I can be like, okay, what if I did this? And then if I move this around, I don't have to lose the original one, but I also don't have to like sit there and trace the original one to twist something this way. I just duplicate that layer, do another thing, click, click, click. I didn't lose the original one. I just built on ideas and it allows you to iterate so much faster and so much more. I was just thinking... Time, like, we are always so short on time for everything. Well, you know, I was just this... You, when you were doing that hand motion, it was just making me think of uh, the South African artist William Kentridge, who did an animation called The History of the Main Complaint that was basically a whole story of apartheid in South Africa done on one sheet of paper. So how he did it was he would draw a scene, erase the scene, photograph it, draw another scene, erase the scene, photograph it, but you would see the residue of the erasing constantly going over yeah. the animation. And I thought, man, this this guy did hundreds of yeah. essential drawings on one sheet of paper, and it looks so beautiful and so textual, despite the fact that it's telling a very horrific story, but it was done on paper, and I don't think you would have gotten to say, you would have been able to mimic the same effect digitally, but it wouldn't feel the same. Yes, but I didn't start on digital. I still started on paper. Yeah. But, like, I'm not saying digital replaces it. I just think that it's yet another tool. It's like a brush versus a pen versus a ruler. It's just yet another tool to enable you to, instead of, like, trying to draw a straight line with your hand, it doesn't make you any less of a creative if you use a ruler to draw that straight hand. Of course not, yeah. Well, yeah that's, that's what the iPad tool does for me. I don't, it doesn't make me creative. And you can create all of this work without the iPad. It just isn't, it just saves me time in a way. And it kind of does create a different level of iteration where I wouldn't get to do on paper because it's so laborsome in a way. It's it's both. It's not either or. I think, I think the conversations always be about like, is tech replacing paper? And it's not. It's just supporting what we already have. So... What I think is that it's not either or, that the tech supports the paper. What do you think? Well, I, I, I agree with you, and I don't think it's an either or. I think it works in tandem with each other. I've tried many different applications and programs that mimic paper. Moleskin, like we said earlier, has its own yeah. app. There's the paper app. Yeah, there yeah. Is, there's been really janky There's so options. many apps yeah. that are... That are that supposedly mimic the concept of illustration and drawing. Do you drawing feel and, like you've been burnt out from the early iterations of tech exploring oh, this concept? So many. I just showed you my iPad earlier, and I have yeah. what four of them, and none you know of them what, are great. You know what finally convinced me is iPad Pro, Apple Pen, and the Procreate. This I mean, is, I'm just saying, like, there's a big, big ad for iPad. Here. It's, I mean, well, first of all, I was. I was very angry that I had to, like, I was like, why isn't there an Adobe on this? Like, I have to learn yet another software now. I have to watch tutorials. Oh, please, like, just let me use Adobe because at least I know how to use it. I'll just use, just make Illustrator, a tablet version yeah. of it. Yes. There is one now. There's an Illustrator and a Photoshop on the tablet now. And they do function a little bit more differently, the desktop version, obviously, for obvious reasons because there are different mediums. But I got it last year, last spring, like a year before the quarantine. <laughs> There was none of that. There was a promise of them coming out. That's why I was like, finally, okay, I can cave in. And I had to learn Procreate. Mm. And it has changed. I'm so glad Adobe wasn't available. So I had to learn Procreate because that's what made it. That's what made me a convert. Procreate is a drawing app. 
It's not trying to be your sketchbook. It's not trying to. Be, it is artboards. It's not like putting things you can collect, make collections and stuff. But like that whole like paper app is great. The first time it's like, oh my god, my moleskin in my iPad. And it's not. It does it all not these your like unnecessary. In your iPad, no. And it's not like you can't. Like they, they have all these pens and like for us creatives, it's very rudimentary and it's frustrating because. When I want a different pen tip, like, I, I want all the options because I'm, like, I can just do that on paper. It's not like that on Procreate. There's an infinite amount of brushes, this and that. But, like, as soon as you figure out the general concept of how things move and how the layers function, which is kind of, like, a little bit of a learning curve, a little frustrating, especially for someone who's been using the same program for 15 years. But that's what changed, really, my, like, my opinion on it. So I'm going to... Like, I wish I brought my iPad today so we could just be, like, playing around and say, like, see? like, And then you'll be like, ooh, I see what you're doing Maybe. with that. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm open. Um, but I, I'm I really do think that... the er, I think I, I hear the burnout from your early versions, and I totally agreed with that. I hated all the early versions. The, the idea of the moleskin pen was... The, it's great on idea, but not really in practice. Even the um, paper pen, it was... I don't know if you... I've never it's tried a big the paper chunky one. Yeah, like yeah. it's like no, like they tried all these things, but it, again, it's it's technology, so they had to do all these iterations for us to be able to land at a better version. I think you gave up, like at the end, you were frustrated, and I like I totally hear you on that. I I'm still going to be a defender of say you know, there's value in it, and there's more things to explore because it's gotten better. And I'm still going to be a defender on real world pure, paper and Pure pencil. paper alone? Yes. No, I'm always going to be combo. <laughs> combo forever. You have to use every tool at your disposal if you can get your hands on it. And now for our favorite part of this and every episode, our signature cocktail. Alex, what do you have for us today? So today, we did something special because it's our season finale and it's uh, the eve of the holiday season. Well, uh, this, is, this episode is is dropping on Christmas Day. Yes. So we decided to make a cocktail, a Christmas cocktail that you should have as soon as you wake up in the morning. <laughs> that's, that's pretty, pretty strong. Well, you know, I was picturing more like, you know, post-brunch maybe. <laughs> no, no, no. As soon as you wake up in the morning, you're going to need it. No, no, no. It's called it's called a bourbon apple sour and it is fabulously delicious. So I'll tell you what it's all about. And what I decided to use is one of my favorite bourbons that I'm drinking now. It is called Buffalo Trace out of Kentucky. And it is not, you know, one of these high highbrow bourbons. It's a really clean and smooth taste. It's it's great neat. It's great in mixed drinks and it's great over rocks. It's not trying to be trendy bourbon. No, it's like prohibition style like, it's bottle. It's very like you know, like fat neck and like a bubble neck, and it gets like thinner and like it's just very like it's very old school label. So well, you, can you, can, see, you can see it on our Instagram stories this week. There you go. So I'll get into how it's made. You take two parts bourbon, three parts freshly pressed apple, ginger, lemon juice. And what we decided to use, it had a little bit of cayenne in it, so it had a little bit of a kick. I actually like this version, so I would suggest you try that as well. It was from Pest Juicery. For the bitters, we use Pesha bitters. But it could have been orange. We use the Pesha bitters, or you could use orange if you wanted to. Really, what made this drink really sing and all the aromas and the aromatic flavors really pop out was the cinnamon stick and the star anise. And what we did was toast it. But... There is an addendum to that because we are working in an office. (laughs) 
So there's, not, I, there's no open fire in an office. There is no open fire. That would be that would be illegal. So what we decided to do was uh, pop it in the microwave for what, 10 seconds? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I mean, the anise was already very fragrant, and the cinnamon was getting kind of overpowered by the anise because I, I packed them together. And um, so I just put the cinnamon sticks in a glass in the microwave for 30 seconds and that came out very very fragrant and toasty it's really good the the aroma is amazing and so what you do is you combine all the ingredients in a strainer and pour into a rock glass and you garnish with a cinnamon stick and a star inase and enjoy cheers cheers Thank you for hanging with us for a list of resources mentioned in this week's episode. Hop onto our site, GatsbyFridays.com. You can find the Burble app and recipe on the website, GatsbyFridays.com. For show notes or if you want to leave a comment or suggest show topics, get at us on our site. Don't forget to rate us, give us five stars, and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to get in front of more ears and build our audience. Or if you're a Spotify person, make sure you follow Gatsby Fridays. Follow us on Instagram for exclusive content like me, making this week's drink on our Insta stories throughout the week. Happy holidays, and we will be back end of January in a better year for all of us in 2021 with season three. Stay tuned. And And this this is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Fridays.